This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. The philosophy that we have is if you're automating things within yourself, within your own control, you learn a lot from that, and then you can apply that back to customers, and ultimately that becomes a win-win. What makes for great automation strategy? Savinier Barry, the EVP of Product and Engineering Advantage, has a wealth of experience to share about the work they've been doing, automating processes both internally and for customers. This automation series is brought to you by Salesforce Platform and Dreamforce 2022. Our guest today, Savinier Barry, will be on the keynote stage at Dreamforce this year to talk about saving time, reducing costs, and doing more with less with MuleSoft, Slack, and Salesforce Platform. He'll explain how his IT teams were able to unlock data across the customer 360, automate with low code and scale securely. So this is just a little sneak peek. Catch the full Dreamforce keynote September 21 on Salesforce Plus. Just visit salesforce.com slash P-L-U-S for this and more. Savinier Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Listen, we always love hearing people that are building, like I like to say, building the future. But for those who do not know what Vonage is, let's start there. Vonage has been around for a bit. I remember seeing and hearing about it back when I was uh, in college, first learning about possibly you could call people over the internet. That was crazy back then, uh, dating myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give us an idea what Vonage is all about and what it's transformed itself into, because this is a company that is continuously evolving. Yeah, it's a great transformation story, and you're you're spot on. I mean, one just founded way back in like the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, and at that time, it was disrupting the way that people communicated with each other, as you said, through telephony, but telephony over the internet. So it was what was called VoIP at that time, voice over IP. It was one of the first companies to do that. Completely disrupted the space and changed the way that most of the carriers started to get into that space as well, and uh, created the whole category of voice over IP. But since then, it's completely transformed itself into one of the leading cloud communications platforms in the world. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, simple. Let's consider a day in a life of what we do today. We catch an Uber. You get a text message which says it's arriving at this time. Monitors underneath that. When you get a two-factor authentication for logging into your Twitter account, guess what? That's monitor underneath that. When you go and use your Peloton today and you are interacting with the trainer that you are training with today um, on the Peloton video, mm. guess what? So it's the Vonage video APIs, which are powering that. And if you're in Starbucks and if you want to communicate across different branches in Starbucks over, over your telephony, Vonage is underneath that. Or if you call Hallmark, you bought a bunch of stuff from them and now you need some help and support. It's the Vonage software that's powering that. I can just keep on going, but it's one of those things where Vonage is underneath some of the world's largest businesses on how they engage and communicate with their users on a daily basis. And it is one of the largest global platforms, which processes billions of these messages on a regular basis. We do roughly 25 billion of these messages on a yearly basis, hundreds of millions of voice minutes, hundreds of millions of video minutes. I mean, it's it's at a massive scale. Things that you're doing on a daily basis that you don't even know are happening, like your telehealth visits. If you're doing a telehealth visit, most likely that's the one inch video, video API that's underneath that. So I call it, we are accelerating the world's ability to connect. 
which is our vision. Mm -hmm. It's accelerating the world's ability to connect. Communication is one of those things which has been around for the longest time, right? It dates back thousands of years um, when we were in caves as human beings. Yes, right. How did we communicate? We drew stuff on the caves. That was the way to communicate with each other. Since then, it evolved into now sign language, right? And then it was a spoken word. And the spoken word created so many different languages and so many different dialects. And then it was technology that was a telephony. And then it was the internet. And then it was mobile. What's in the future? Maybe it's the metaverse. Maybe it's more immersive communications. Uh, The world is going to continue to get smaller and smaller as we grow. And uh, the next 50 to 100 years, what does that look like? Well, that's exactly what one is in the middle of developing. Yeah. And our listeners are split down the path, right? There's a lot of leaders, business leaders who would have experienced volunteer services or the transformation of hard lines to digital lines. And when I tell like my kids that we used to literally have, and some people still do, but like literal physical lines, although we still have physical lines, they're just internet lines now, physical lines running our house, running into different buildings. And that's how we communicated. But that's all been abstracted away to other people's infrastructure. And now, of course, it's on a software level and equipment level that allows these communications to be secured, Mm -hmm. privatized, routed properly. Uh, You kind of mentioned call centers, which would have tons of agents or thousands of individual agents that need to be able to capture a nice secured record with the person on the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things where it's weird for, I think, you know, my kids, it's definitely weird for them to think like that's how phones used to be because they they are already in the mode that it doesn't cost money to call anyone anywhere in the world. And that's That's like mind boggling to them. That's That's exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) You're so right about that. I mean, the fact that we don't have to think about whether it's a a toll free call or a toll call and it's going to cost $5 $5 a minute or something like that. I mean, I remember, I literally remember going into the payphone once, uh, not once, a lot of times, and figuring out how much money, and this is when I was in college, I was poor, uh, trying to figure out how much money I have. And based on that, I will only call that number of minutes. <laughs> and, and it was a different world altogether. And now you just didn't even think about it. You pick up your phone over, uh, you call over WhatsApp, you call over FaceTime, you call over all of these other apps that are out there. It's all free. It's amazing. Yeah. The reason why we're really excited to have you in particular on the show is this concept of what it takes to do this, because obviously information is traveling over the public internet. It's traveling through public infrastructure. It might be traveling through private infrastructure. Data is coming from all over the place. Literally back in the day when people watch movies and like if anyone's seen John Wick, like literally back in the day, there was an operator who had a patch lines. Like there was a person that was their job. They had a patch call A to call B. And if that line wasn't physically plugged in in those two places, you couldn't talk to this person. Okay, so that was people-based engine. Now we have automation engines. I mean, I'm assuming that's where it comes in, but give us an idea of what it takes on the automation layer to make this happen, because this is something that is evolving continuously. And I think based on your customers, they're putting new requirements on you all the time too. So it's no longer something that a person can map. Like it's it's too much. Oh, no, 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 not, not at all. I mean, you're, you're talking about a switchboard, which is uh, uh, <laughs> hopefully being completely deprecated and now sits somewhere in a museum, uh, which uh, where it has more value than anything else. But uh, the automatic switching of telephony, that happened uh, through what was called the PSTN networks, the public switch telephony networks uh, three decades ago. But since then, What has really transformed uh, is how the scale of communications are getting automated. 
And those scale of communications could be in the form of voice, could be in the form of chatbots, could be in the form of messaging, could be in the form of video, right? But each of them will require a significant automation. Think of the time when you go to a website today and you see typically like a little chatbot or if you go to any of the uh, any of the flight uh, apps, like a United app or something, United, yeah. and you want to chat with somebody over there, the automation piece is really the piece behind the scenes, which is capturing the intent of that conversation you want to have with that chat agent and is understanding your ask and is able to extract that ask, match that up with a system of record in the back, and then be able to serve you that answer in real time without you ever realizing whether it's a human being or if it's a bot. That's automation. And doing that at scale hundreds of millions of times a day. To do that, you do need that automation. And the automation comes, I mean, if in the back end, there are tons of systems of records. One of the most important ones, obviously, is the CRM itself, where all the accounts are kept, um, where Salesforce and others play a big role in that. So having these automation capabilities built in, the workflows built in, super critical to create that engagement with the end users. Yeah. Well, I remember when chatbots were first becoming a thing, and this was in the early 2000, like 2000, let's say 12 to 14 timeframe. It was all the promise and all the rage. Everyone was like, hey, you can start automating and build flows, and you can simplify a lot of these experiences. And I remember sitting down with our team in software and we were like, wait a second, these solutions aren't that smart because we were routing them. Like we were setting up the rules engines. Now, to my understanding, like you guys are taking to a new layer where this is where artificial intelligence starts playing a role where it's like, hey, you can make start making recommendations of what to do next. What is your automation philosophy? How does your company, how do you and your teams think about it? Because how do I make good decisions? Like say, yes, this is worth automating. This is probably not something like now that AI is part of it, there's obviously going to be suggestions that some of them are completely automated where the AI will make the suggestion and the solution. And then others are going to be like the humans will have to make the implement the solution. That's right. How are you viewing this challenge? Yeah, it's a good challenge, right? Because uh, what we talk about internally is uh, automate everything automatable. <laughs> not everything is automatable. Okay. There may be certain tasks where you do want to make sure you have a more prescriptive, a more deliberate approach versus just a purely automatable approach. And those tasks, for now, it may not make sense. But the tasks like the chatbots, like pulling data from the backend system of records to be able to collate that uh, in real time to provide the right answer to the customer that you're working with, that's all automatable. So on the chatbot side, what's fascinating is Believe it or not, I mean, as far as we've come in the chatbots world, they still suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it still feels like a very robotic conversation. It still feels like one of those where you click yes to do this, no to do this, or options one, two, and three. It speaks the language of code versus the language of human. We got to get to the point where we got to feel speak the language of human beings, and they need to have that notion that you don't you don't never know if it's a chatbot or if it's a human being behind the scenes. So there's more work to be done. And that's where some of the AI components, the sentiment analysis, natural language understanding, connecting with the right records in the back end, being able to serve that information. RPA has a role to play in that robotic process automation, mm-hmm. which on the back end is enabling some of those capabilities to provide to the agent so you can have that conversation with the customer in real time. Some of the workflow engines like the low-code and no-code workflow engines, which design these flows 
they are playing a part in that. So there are a lot of tools underneath it, which are allowing these capabilities to be enabled in more, not just automated, but intelligent and more realistic ways as human beings would do typically. Those are some of the things that are happening. And I think there'll be a time where there'll be agents transferring over to bots, bots transferring over to agents on the customer side, and you will never know the difference. And as companies, they'll be able to scale much faster because they don't have to staff up hundreds and thousands of agents. All they'll do is add a new learning, add a new training capability for their bots, and they can have different identities and uh, images and personas for their bots to have those conversations with their customers as it feels like it's a real being and it represents the identity of the company as well. Yeah. And from the way you described it, and then I think of your position in the industry that you're in, one of the challenges that I believe is true is that the way we communicate ourselves is changing extremely fast, meaning humans, right? Like I don't use emoji, but I can tell you that my teenagers use a lot of emoji and they probably, I'm guessing, are chatting emoji into like service records. Like Mm -hmm. I, I think so because they're asking for my response in emoji, right? Were you satisfied? Like, oh, smiley face, upset face, angry face, you know? So what does that do for your team? Because the way humans communicate just continues to change, right? It was, look at the evolution of language, right? It was really eloquently written. Then it got to like shorthand. Now we're just choosing not to type in vowels anymore. Like some kids are, and then (laughs) now we're replacing complete sentences with imagery. (laughs) And like, think about the phone makers, literally when they release the new iPhone or new iOS, they're going to tell you the new emojis they've added and people get excited. They're like, yes, I'm going to use that. <laughs> that is so true. The language is, is evolving and shorthand with pictures and emojis is, uh, <laughs> is the way I see my teenager and my 10 year old also communicate. And you, you're spot on. Sometimes I have to ask them, well, what does this actually mean? Can you, <laughs> I, I get it, but what does it mean? Uh, like SMH, there's like a SMH. Do you know what SMH means? I'm assuming shaking my head, but it could be something yeah. else now. I didn't know that. I'm like, what does this mean? What is? What do you mean by SMH? And apparently everybody else knows and I don't. So <laughs> it's one of those things that it's shorthand for a lot of communications that are happening. And this is a generation which is going to grow up into being decision makers um, for how things happen at companies at scale, right? So they'll bring in those behaviors. So to your point, um, from an automation perspective, from an AI perspective, this is just part of the learning. And whether you call it that unsupervised learning technique that needs to be introduced, so you constantly add more data and it learns, adds more intelligence along the way, and then it applies it in the right instances. So it feels like it's seamless. So if somebody is responding with an emoji, you can respond back with potentially an emoji or a shorthand as well. So it creates an identity for the business. It almost should feel like whenever you're talking to anybody in any company that you're dealing with, it's like talking to your friend. That's where it needs to get to. And we're not there yet. And if you think about it, I mean, why do you talk to any company at all? I mean, it's usually a problem, unfortunately. It's usually a problem or I want to buy something. That's how you would go talk to them. And You would talk to them, whether you're going to their physical location, you would talk to them in the digital storefront, which could be a website or it could be an app. And in the future, by the way, one of our hypotheses is that these conversations will become the new digital storefront for most companies, not just an app, not just a website, but actual conversations which happen over messaging, over voice, over other things. 
So to get to that point where conversations become the way you buy something or you get support from something, you need to have an understanding of the language. And then that all needs to be automated through some of the intelligence behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, there's so many tools now readily available. We talked about the speed at which people are communicating and how they're changing their communications. What does that mean, I guess, for you and your teams? How fast are you guys able to update models, change models, adapt to customer requirements? Because the customer's probably constantly... Like I'm imagining if I'm a big multinational corporation, I can't even begin to fathom what kind of problems I have, but I know that I'm going to be tracking my calls. And then I might notice a problem in this arena and might be like... Savanya, can you solve this? Like, this is my problem now, right? Because I'm assuming that's how kind of like the problems emerge. And you're like, wow, this use case is starting to emerge. And we're seeing trend patterns. Probably it's based on industry. It's probably based on macroeconomic conditions. Who knows what's based on, but they're going to want solutions. What is this evolution of, of AI, low code, some of this tooling that we talked about? How is that implemented? How has that changed your ability to implement these changes? What's it look like now compared to what it used to look like? I think the feedback loop has gotten a lot faster. So that's helped. It used to take a long time for us to go implement certain pieces of software and then let the users start to scale it, use it, and then eventually get some sort of feedback on whether it's being adopted appropriately, what kind of reports are being generated on it, all of that. But now, because of the inherent capabilities of the software, whether it's our admin console, which is capturing all of these data points, like billions of data points uh, on a regular basis, and is able to then create reports and insights, which is helpful for RPMs to go look at and identify, hey, you know what? In this area, within this region, this is the kind of messaging that is being used more often. And therefore, let's figure out if we can provide more capacity or we can provide new ways to deliver that message, whether it's through WhatsApp or through something else. Um, so the feedback loop has gotten a lot faster. Same thing with AI. We acquired an AI company a few years ago, and they're now completely embedded in every single product that we do and enable. So capturing that learning and putting it back into the data model and then evolving the insights that come out of the data model helps the PMs to decide what are the new capabilities or features to add. So that's the biggest change is I would say the, the feedback loop has become a lot uh, a lot faster and that's a win-win for everybody around the board. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming if you collect feedback, more accurate feedback faster, your product evolution is getting faster. Do your engineers, do your teams, customers, are they noticing that the, uh, I guess, the uh, time to resolution is starting to shrink or is it time to execution, time to implementation? Or have they observed these things? Or it's like, wow, we're able to solve these problems much faster now. They are observing some of the features that are getting enabled. The velocity of that is definitely increasing. You know, let me give you an example. So in our contact center solution, uh, we used to hear about the fact that, hey, we also need to have video. We also want to have the capability for agents to do a video call in addition to a voice call or a message call or, or a messaging. Earlier, we were like, well, why, did you, why do you want video? I mean, why would somebody want to be, let's say, sitting in their PJs somewhere and, <laughs> uh, and have video on while they're speaking to a customer service agent? Kind of doesn't make sense. But if you take an example of, hey, something's wrong with my phone. And instead of trying to explain what's wrong with my phone, you just point out, here's what's wrong. And then it becomes a much easier conversation. So video started to become one of the asks. Because we are a platform where we have our own APIs underneath, 
we were able to take our video API and then embed that as part of our contact center solution, create what's called visual engagement as a feature inside the contact center and enable that for our users. And that's how we started to collect the feedback. So it was our ask from what we saw. It was a real problem, solved it using the capabilities we had within ourselves. I call it the composable enterprise because we have so many different Lego pieces. We can kind of build what we want with those Lego pieces pretty quickly. And uh, ultimately, that's a benefit for the user. Yeah, I can totally see that. I Personally, when I'm not able to quickly share video or screenshots of my problem, you know, like there's certain chats that don't lie to upload files. I'm always like, what is this? Like, this is, <laughs> I've, I don't know if you ever used one, but it's frustrating. But to your point, sure, a video or picture can, you know, take away quite a bit of typing. <laughs> like it's, it's very easy to quickly know exactly what's going on. You know, one of the things that our, our sponsors told us, Salesforce sponsors IT visionaries, but they said you're also like, you take this automation layer and you also bring it to just your work too. So not customer facing, but like you bring it to your own work. And a lot of IT leaders listen to this show. Give us some of the idea of some of the things you yourself are automating on your inside for your team so that your team can work faster. Because we've had a lot of automation experts on the show or different people from different categories, RPA, you know, process flow automation, stuff like that. And they always talk about the similar things where they say, hey, listen, don't worry about losing your job. The automation is going to unlock creativity because we are going to take away the annoying stuff. <laughs> yes. And I think, I mean, that, that uh, argument could have been applied in the early 1900s to people who were working in the fields. And hey, you're going to lose your job to industrialization. You're going to lose your job to factories. Guess what happened? The fastest economic growth that has happened in the 20th century happened because of the fact there were more industries created, there were more jobs created as a result of that, right? So did it take some reskilling? Sure, it took some reskilling, but ultimately that was a good thing for every everybody and it lifted the economy, it lifted the, uh, the quality of living. So I see the same thing happen in this case as well. And um, I'm if I'm in that well, my suggestion, we don't worry about it. You just have to really think about what skills are needed and then you can reskill and then you learn and you grow uh, along the way as, the, as all, the, all the growth happens in that area. So in terms of what we do with uh, our own internal processes, so of course, we are applying all these principles to our own internal call center as well. We run a call center ourselves. People call in and they have questions. So we are applying the same principles that I described earlier to our own support and customer service and call centers. Same thing, we're applying it to our internal IT. So when somebody requires a, um, whether it's a device or if it's a ticket or whatever it is, how do you figure out what are the priorities? How do you figure out the prioritization of the ticket? There's decision assist and AI, which is built into some of those uh, ticketing flows, uh, which are based on some of the work that uh, we actually got from Salesforce on their business workflow. Uh, and uh, business workflow was helping us to drive some of these automated workflows internally uh, so we could provision those uh, kinds of things for our users. That's helping. Internally, we are using our own low-code and no-code solutions to build out IVR flows. Um, so uh, we're doing that. We're doing that for building out capabilities for our own developers. When they are developing software, then how do they create demo applications? Well, they could do that by leveraging the low-code and no-code. We call it the AI Studio. And that AI Studio platform is being used by our own developers to, to do that. 
Um, so several examples. I mean, it's um, part of uh, the philosophy that we have is if you're automating things within yourself, within your your own control, you learn a lot from that, and then you can apply that back to customers, and um, you know, ultimately that becomes a win-win. Yeah, the thing you just mentioned, where you're actually implementing low-code, no-code tools to your developers so that they can stand up MVPs, prototypes faster. What kind of innovation have you seen unlocked there? Because that's that sounds pretty cool. I think to back to when I was in software, and again, I wasn't in software that long ago, but it might feel like an eternity because I left it in 2016, 2017 arena. But I do remember our developers would be tasked with, you know, come up with features. You're welcome to work like Skunk Works projects. And they were work. And a lot of our core innovations came from them. But the way things are being tested and built now are just so much faster. Have you noticed for yourself, like, for example, hey, in a calendar year, we used to have like eight great suggestions from the team. Now we're having 10 or something like that, like something that kind of demonstrates the change and speed of acceleration. Well, it's not just the suggestions. It's also about what do you do with those suggestions? Because ideas are always there. It's about how do you put those ideas into practice and try to do a quick POC on it? That's point one. And then point two is how do you take things which are already going in the development cycle and get them to production as quickly as possible? For those of you who are in software, you'll, you'll know that um, the last mile, which is the, the CI-CD process, the continuous integration and the continuous delivery process, is sometimes the one which takes the longest because you have to go figure out the right model for uh, instrumenting the right monitoring, the reporting capabilities to be able to deploy in the right cluster, to have all your SecOps done. So there's a lot of things that need to go into then putting, uh, pushing the button which goes into production. We have developed our own in a platform internally, which allows you as a developer to do that within a matter of like a few hours. So it becomes a way to take all that overhead away and then deploy the code, not have to worry about all the other stuff that you typically would spend time on and focus more on writing the code itself. And uh, the same thing on uh, uh, this no-code platform, as I mentioned, because it allows you the what's called a service catalog, pick the right services. It has the UI elements or UI widgets in it. You pick those UI elements and you can instrument as a very simple you know, web app to test out what you're looking to do. You can even use that for some POCs with the customer engagements and get feedback from them. So it becomes, from, from a developer standpoint, that's amazing because then you can start to build these things versus just dream, a dream about them and get some feedback, going back to the feedback loop becoming faster, you can get that feedback very quickly and then iterate on it. I'm curious for, for yourself and for your team, what kind of time split do you have your engineers working on, you know, solving company-based objectives versus like coming up with solutions? Or do you run like a blended model? It's like, hey, solve this problem, but you can come up with any idea you want to solve it. Yeah, 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 it's a great question. So actually, we, we track this pretty uh, maniacally. So there's, a, there's, there's three different categories of work that happens. One is what's called, uh, what we call as brilliant basics. So this is stuff that needs to happen just to make sure that we are keeping our customers at a place where there's no issues, no outages, no nothing, right? Second is what we call as key initiatives. These are things that our customers are telling us on what they need and how we can build that into their roadmaps and deliver to them. And then third is moonshots. And these are the ones which is, hey, let's go figure out how do we solve the next big problem. So uh, going back to that future of communications, how are we going to deliver to that? How are we going to create this new engagement platform that we have a vision for? So we track the percentage of uh, time that goes into those three buckets between Brilliant Base, six key initiatives, and moonshots. You know, today I'd say 
we're sort of in that 45, 45, 10 kind of range uh, across those three. I'd like, frankly, to have the moonshots bucket start to become even more uh, because that creates the more disruptive innovation. And given the tools we are uh, in- including, given the automation we're including, I can see us moving more in that direction. Yeah, that makes sense because especially when I think about recruiting right now, which a lot of CIO, CTOs, people such as yourself have talked about, you know, a lot of great developers have a, you know, a lot of demand for the skill, right? And so mm-hmm. they want to solve problems, but they also kind of want to implement some creativity as a type of worker that work, those workers love to build the people that are developed software love to build. And I think opening that door of creativity is a, it certainly scratches that itch because they, they want to build. So any type of environment where they're not allowed to build is, is, is a little more challenging. Exactly. You got to do both. You got to serve the customers today, but at the same time, you got to exercise your creativity, figure out what's coming up next and actually go make it happen. So you got to do both. So now I got to ask you, because you sit in one of the most interesting seats, right? Because the industry you play in, the Vonage plays in, is an industry that everyone's affected by. Everyone has had a service requirement. That's just a fact. Like there's no one's gone through life not needing help from a company or someone else, right? We've all needed it. We've all had good service and we've all had bad service. What do you see this technology transforming into? Tell us what you think customer service looks like in like mm. five years. Oh, it's fascinating, right? Um, and by the way, for your listeners that may not know this, we just uh, got acquired by Ericsson. So Ericsson yeah. is... Uh, now our uh, our parent company where we are part of obviously one of the largest uh, global communication infrastructure providers and that gives us potentially the platform to realize the vision that uh, I talked about earlier uh, which is very very exciting so it uh, gives us a way to to get that reach so the vision that we have is that of a global immersive engagement platform and notice i didn't use the word communication in that because communications is a means to an end. Why do you want to talk? Why do you want to send a message? Why do you want to have a video call? It's to create that engagement for the context you're in, whether you are buying something, you're getting service for something, or you just want to collaborate, or you just want to say hello, whatever the context is. But ultimately, it's about that engagement, that feeling of connection that you have with one-to-many, many-to-many engagements. So, Our vision is to create this engagement platform, but an immersive engagement platform. Even when we are sitting here, we are still working in this two-dimensional model where uh, you go in, you fire up your app, which is a video app, and then you talk to each other, which is, by the way, way better than it was before (laughs) when you were sitting around in a conference room and staring at the polycom in the middle of the room thinking that that's actually a person. But all you're doing is just talking over audio. So way better today, for sure. But I think in the future, it's really going to be a lot more immersive. And that's where the concept of metaverse comes in. And a lot of people I know still roll their eyes around, what is this metaverse thing? I mean, come on, is this something even real? It's happening today. It's happening today. Imagine being in a place where you are doing a customer service, or you're buying something, but you're actually there, where you're trying on the clothes within an environment where you feel like you know how the pair of jeans look on you before you ever bought it. And then you place the option of buying it and then you know shows up at your doorstep. Or same thing with, uh, with healthcare, where the doctor, when they're, they're talking to you, you feel like you're there. And um, in fact, not only just there, but they are touching and feeling, let's say your bone, if there's something wrong with your knee, they're touching and feeling it. And through haptics, they can identify what might be wrong. And 
then that way they can diagnose the problem better. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of different immersive examples. Or if you're joining a new company and you're getting onboarded and you're sitting in your own little room, but you feel like you're there and you're having these water cooler conversations, it changes the paradigm of engagement and communications. And I think that's where we are all going eventually. Uh, it's going to be these 360 degree engagements and they're all going to be immersive. You know, we're working on some of those areas right now. We're working on, on some SDKs, which could be um, something that could help in moving the ball forward in these areas. No, that sounds pretty cool. I'll, I'm going to use my example and you tell me if this is possible today, because I think it is. So I recently acquired a home and it had, you know, equipment that needed to be turned out, right? So I, so I needed like a hot water heater replacement. So I go online, look at the price or look, search it up. Then it says, is it what electric or gas? Great question. I was like, I don't know. Now I got to go find out. And I couldn't figure, I had to search through my documents and I just got to start thinking like, and then it started asking me all these questions. Like, do I want it installed and delivered? I was like, man, why would it assume that I know how to install these things? This is a giant piece of equipment. The dream scenario would be, I take a picture of the water heater. I say to Lowe's or Home Depot, I want to replace this. It can recognize the gallon size. It can recognize water or electric, instantly pulls the inventory available to me, offers me calendar of suggested install dates and disposal dates. And I can just be like, you know, we can bring it, replace it, fulfill it right this day. Here's the price tag. And I would love to just have that option instead of going through all these question trees. I had to go through several question trees. And then like, I want to explain to our audience, like how complicated it is in like what you're talking about, which will simplify this. It's, it said a delivery fee, but it didn't say installation. So I had to chat. I had to chat with somebody like, does this include installation? The person came back and literally said to me, and I don't know if they're reading from a script or not. They came back and said, it will be brought to your house. I was like, wait a second. That's not what I'm asking. <laughs> right. <laughs> because if you drop this off in front of my house, it's going to stay there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I need exactly. it to be brought into the house and, and installed. And I feel like the technology is already there. I feel like, you know, companies have to choose to invest in this, but I feel like the technology is probably already there to like take a picture, recognize it, and also recognize the calendar of times of when's most like available for service. I feel like that should be there. Um, it might be talking across systems, but you tell me, is that, should that be possible today? That is definitely possible today. Technically, that's possible today. A lot of times, the scenario you just described happens as a custom engagement or a custom project with companies. So you have some of the larger like system integrators who would come in and say, hey, we can do this for you. It's going to cost you 10 million bucks, but we can do this for you. And they go cobble it all together into various different systems. And uh, to your point, there'll be about five or six different system of records they'll have to pull the data from and then enable the agents and train them and then have more chatbots, which are not just dumb chatbots, but actual intelligent chatbots, which can have this kind of a, uh, a conversation with you, right? So it's definitely possible, but it's not happening enough at scale. And that is one of the immediate challenges that I think we have in front of us and uh, something that we're tackling with our own customers where we're telling them, hey, you can turn your existing notifications that you do into conversations and into engagement eventually. And this, what you just mentioned, is a great example of that engagement. Because imagine if you were able to do that, you become a fan for life for Lowe's or Home Depot. I would have bought the water heater already. I'm still shopping. I exactly. still have <laughs> There you go. And you're a biggest promoter. And you'll probably tell 10 of your friends about this. And they'll tell 10 of their friends. And 
it's it's just a win-win. So um, it's possible, but it's not happening enough at scale. And that's one of my big things is how do we do that at scale in the short future? Yeah. Well, listen, I can't wait for this technology more widely adopted. I think some of the things you painted in the picture, the, you paint the picture for the future are as exciting. It's also exciting to hear that a lot of this stuff is here today if companies choose to invest in it. Because yeah, when I was when you were describing what you were describing, then I was thinking about my most recent like frustrating purchase decision. I was like, man, this could have been a lot easier. I feel like it's got to. I take a picture, it goes up into the inventory record, instantly identifies this as the. Then it has to go to the stock record. Here are the viable switches. Then it has to go to the maintenance record. Here are the available delivery dates in my area. I feel like that should be possible. <laughs> totally. And imagine starting even before that, by the way, why do you even have to go to the Lowe's app for this? Where do typically people start whenever they were looking for anything? They go to Google. Yeah, they go to Google. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what if you just go there directly and say, hey, I want to replace my water heater and I want to talk to somebody about it. So within that, within that search, uh, do this test, by the way, when you get a chance. Google up Lowe's or Google up any of the uh, of the names, the name brand, big name retail stores. Typically, you'll find the search for them show up with directions, with their website and their phone number. But you wouldn't see anything which has a chat option there. You wouldn't see it. But if you did, then you can, if you click on that chat and as soon as you engage in that chat, you can say, here's my, uh, here's my issue with the heater. I want to replace it. And then the back end, you don't care where that's coming from, who's, who's answering you. All you know is you got, you got your water heater replaced by having this conversation. And that's what I mean by having this conversation with the brand versus doing this over an app or going to the website. So you're spot on. I mean, that's exactly where this needs to go. Listen, I can't wait for that stuff to come true. So I want to say thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your vision for the future and how Vonage is going to play a critical role. It was awesome having you on the show. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Savinia, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. You solve a lot of problems, it sounds like, or build some innovative solutions. What's one of the craziest problems someone had asked you to solve? Uh, craziest problem someone asked to solve. Uh, try to figure out a way to sell into a completely new market, which was about, I, uh, that was in 2011, the iPad was first coming out. Nobody knew what the heck an iPad was <laughs> and uh, explain to them on how this will help make their lives easier, especially for something as fundamental as education. So this was way back when in my startup days, but probably one of the hardest problems I had to solve. Why was it so challenging? Explain to people about how they can use a new device which can help them there. We're like, I have a phone, I have, I have a laptop. Why do I need this third thing? <laughs> and so it was, you know, there's this thing called as an ANSOFS matrix, which talks about new product, new market, and existing product, existing market. The part which is new product, new market is the toughest thing to solve in any, um, any geo, any market that you're in. And in this case, that's what it was. It was a completely new everything. So um, probably one of the hardest problems, but it was fun. As an engineer yourself, when did you know that you were good at this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I feel like I was always um, the one with a ton of questions. Even when I was an engineer, I was asking a bunch of questions from all of my PMs at that time. And they finally got sick of me and said, OK, fine, you, uh, you answer your own questions. I've always, I guess, been curious about just how things work. 
And um, I till this till this day, you know, I my my engineering team sometimes gets a little crazy. Like I go do code reviews with them sometimes because I don't understand <laughs> just how it works. Not that I don't trust them. I, I love what they're doing. I'm just interested in how you solve this. So it's more, I think I've always been curious, but um, it's just played a role in discovering and then ultimately driving my my sort of purpose towards helping people and trying to enable them do their own improve their own lives in some ways. Where do you go for inspiration to solve complex problems? Are you a outside the box? Like, are you a meditator? Are you a outdoorsman? Give us an idea what you do outside of work to to clear your head to think. I do meditate, and and I think that that's what gives me the strength to be a little more sane in the chaotic world that's all around us. And then I love to run, um, so I I do go run outside. I'm grateful to live in uh, in California, so. You can actually go outside throughout the year and uh, it's beautiful. So all of the above. All right. You say you're a runner. What kind of runner are you? Are you a 5K? Are you a 10K runner? Are you a marathon runner? I've done a couple of half marathons. So next goal is a full. Um, with the kind of schedule we have these days, it becomes a little crazy to train for it. But uh, definitely want to do that at some point in time. One of the disadvantages, by the way, on the flip side of living on the West Coast is you're trying to play catch up to the whole world when they've already started work, which means your days start like super early, sometimes at 5 a.m. So <laughs> gone are the morning runs. The morning runs were my sacred thing. So they're gone. So uh, I got to figure out a different way to get that in somehow. Hey, listen, I have been an East Coaster my whole life. I always only thought of the positives of the West Coast. Like, oh, I get to you know watch sports and not have to stay up late and get a good night's sleep. But I didn't really think about, you know, it is true. The stock, my friend was a stock trader. He got up at like 5 a.m. Just like you described. Market yeah. opens. That's right. <laughs> Doesn't wait That's for right. you. Mm-hmm. Well, Sabine, it was awesome having you on the show, man. Thanks for sharing all the things that are happening at Vonage. Thanks for sharing some of the things that you yourself and your team have implemented. Like I said, anytime I hear this industry going forward, I get excited because we've all been there. We've all been on the other side of a bad service interaction. And we just, I mean, it's it's a waste of time. Like, let's quickly accelerate so we can solve problems faster, you know? Exactly. I am with you there. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that drives me personally is how can I enable a little bit of delight, a little bit of positivity in the, in those daily interactions that people have uh, that we can influence. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks again for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you. Thank you.